This is the sermon podcast for Bering Memorial United Methodist Church, a reconciling congregation located deep in the heart of Houston, Texas. For more information, please go to bearingumc.org. Welcome to week two of Bearing Memorial United Methodist Church's Lenten Bible study, studying the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter two, Paul continues the story of his conversion, the message that he received from Christ alone, and his relationship with the leadership of the church in Jerusalem. Verses one and 10 detail Paul's second visit to Jerusalem to meet with church leaders. Again, Paul makes it clear that the gospel which he preaches comes from the revelation of Jesus Christ alone, not from the church leadership, although he does secure their endorsement that the Gentiles are free from the law. Had he not secured that endorsement, he would have continued to preach that freedom anyway, because as he states, he is accountable to God alone for the revelation he received. The only constraint placed on Paul by the church leadership is to remember the poor. If we could only remember that as our defining criteria today, faith in Christ and remember the poor. There were opponents at this meeting. Paul describes these opponents as false believers who seek to enslave the followers of Jesus by robbing them of their freedom in Christ. The gospel that Paul preaches is a gospel of grace that liberates us not only from human patterns of domination and exclusion, but also from sameness. The gospel does not require sameness for unity. Jews are free to follow the law and its traditions as their choice as Jews, but it's not required for followers of Jesus. Therefore, Gentiles are not required to follow the law. And in fact, For Paul, it would be a perversion of the gospel to require them to do so. Having secured the endorsement of the church leadership in Jerusalem, Paul returns to Antioch. But all is not kumbaya. Peter, who was eating with Gentiles in violation of Jewish law, having received instructions from God to do so, has now slipped back into legalism and is refusing to eat with Gentiles for fear of being criticized by the law keepers within the church. Paul is uncompromising in his stance on the freedom of the gospel which is not bound by the law. Paul is uncompromising because for Paul, the unity of the church is not based on right doctrine. We don't have to agree on that. The unity of the church is based on relationships rooted in the grace of God. Paul's position is that when Christ died, the law lost its entire claim and power over Christ. Under the law, Jesus becomes cursed when he is crucified. Similarly, when the believer is crucified with Christ, the law loses its power over the believer as well. That means no human institution, political or religious, has any claim on the believer. 
any attempt to reintroduce the divisive aspects of law-keeping into God's grace-filled means of setting the world back right in relationship with God, neighbor, and creation nullifies grace by setting aside the effect of Christ's death. And thus for Paul, the death and resurrection of Christ and the grace of God extended through it overcomes the law and we are freed from keeping the law. Let's talk some about chapter 2 of the book God Unbound by Dr. Elaine Heath. In chapter 2, she states, and I quote, I affirm the ground of all prayer as deep and trustful listening to God who loves and speaks and acts. Jesus asserted in John 10:27 that his sheep hear his voice, end quote. If that is the case, and the Holy Spirit actually does speak to believers today, why are we so suspicious of statements by others when they say, God told me this, or God told me that? Have you ever heard God speak to you through the Spirit and followed what you heard? What happened? Did you share it with anyone? What did they say? Take a moment to share in your group or if you're working alone, write your experience in your journal. I have to admit that I have rolled my eyes at times when people have told me that God told them something. I remember once when I was in college many years ago, a young man came up to me and said, God told me that you are going to be my wife, and so even if you don't want to go out with me now, you will, so I will just keep waiting. Really, I said, well, guess what? God did not tell me that, and it's not going to happen. So if I, I were you, I would stop waiting. Now we can laugh at things like that, but we all know instances where someone in the name of God has done something horrible and then claims that God told them to do it. So there is a reason to be careful. I will confess to you, though, that I have three prayer partners who are soulmates and soul sisters, and together we love God and one another. We hold each other accountable, and we lift each other up. When we get together, we share our joys, our heartaches, our wisdom, our confusion, and then together we ask, Lord, how would you have us pray for, and then we name each other by name. And then we listen, and we pray out loud what we hear. I believe deeply that God sp still speaks to us today if we'll listen. That does not mean that we hear an audible voice, although that is possible, but we recognize that God can speak by stirring our thoughts through a quietness or internal knowing, through an inclination, by pointing us to scripture, through another person sharing something with us or acting in a way toward us, or through a circumstance, in a dream or a vision, or in other ways. The issue, as Dr. Heath points out, is not God speaking and us hearing. It's how do we discern that is God speaking and not our own voice or some other voice. Dr. Heath suggests that Methodism needs to reclaim the grammar and conceptual framework and the experience of Christian mysticism because it offers us the holy fire of our tradition. She points to some of the biblical characters who were mystics. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Paul, 
Joseph, the father of Jesus, Peter, they all experienced revelations of Christ which changed their lives and the world. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, also had a mystical experience in which his heart was strangely warmed. And from that experience, he pioneered a new path for the church, breaking the institutional rules and ordaining leaders for the new world, which no one in his faith tradition was willing to ordain. He followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. His brother, Charles Wesley, reflects the same dependence on the Holy Spirit in his hymns. Phoebe Palmer was a Methodist who birthed the holiness movement in the United States in the 19th century. Listening to the movement of the Spirit through dreams, visions, and inner voices, Palmer and her followers heard a call to mission for social justice and became a healing and transformative presence in the world. During this season of Lent, we have worked hard to provide you with a number of tools for learning to listen more closely to the leading of the Holy Spirit. One of the tools is the labyrinth in the fellowship hall. I invite you to experiment with it by using it as a prayer tool. Go when you have 30 minutes, maybe over lunch. Take a moment at the entrance to offer your prayer intention. Are you wanting direction about something? Are you asking for healing for yourself or someone else? Then walk the labyrinth in silence and just be with God and with what is on your heart. When you get to the center, sit in the quiet and journal or write out a prayer request and pin it to the cross. When you're ready, exit out the other side in a spirit of gratitude that God is at work answering your prayer, even if you receive no insight or feel nothing. If you have time, write or draw with the art materials available. There's no right or wrong. Just allow whatever comes forward to come forward. You might also enter the labyrinth with a short scripture or a written prayer and voice it at the beginning and then just hold it in your intention as you walk the labyrinth. If you can't take the time to come use the labyrinth, you can turn any walk or run into a prayer labyrinth by simply setting the intention to be in prayer as you walk or run. What I do is set the intention that every strike of my foot on the ground echoes the prayer on my heart. Another practice in the prayer buckets that are available to you is Lectio Divina. Choose a short passage of scripture, perhaps a psalm or a few verses from the book of Galatians. Find a quiet place. If you can, read the scripture out loud slowly. What word or phrase sticks out to you? Quietly sit with that word or phrase. Read the scripture again. Ask yourself, is there a situation in my life to which this scripture relates? What do you feel? What thoughts come to mind? Read the scripture again. Ask yourself, what is God's personal invitation to you from this scripture? And then write about that in your journal or create or draw art that reflects what you're experiencing. There are other tools in the prayer buckets that you also can use. You can pick the buckets up in the church narthex or the fellowship hall. Play with the different ideas, have fun with them and see what resonates with you. You might find a new devotional practice. That's enough for this week. We'll dig in deeper next week with chapter three of Galatians and chapter three of Dr. Heath's book.